I'm Allie of Hocus Pocus Collector. And I'm Will of Spooky Will. And we are the Black Flame Society. We're here to share Halloween, Hocus Pocus, and other spooky news and updates with you. While having fun, meeting friends, and making every day feel like it's Halloween. So come on in and join the society. On this week's episode of the Black Flame Society, join us for our first interview, and my oh my, do we start off strong. We had the pleasure of sitting down with Hocus Pocus creator, producer, writer, and all-around extraordinary human being, David Kirshner. David was kind enough to sit down with us to discuss Hocus Pocus, the sequel, some of his other projects, and just a bunch more. So please join us for part one of the Black Flame Society's interview with the one and only... David Kirshner. David, thank you so much for joining us here today. As we were just talking about when you hopped in, we are so grateful for you creating Hocus Pocus. It created a community beyond anything I think anyone ever thought. I'm sure you'll be able to discuss that with us. But I mean, without Hocus Pocus. And and relate to the fact that I never dreamed (laughs) 28 years later that we would there would even be interest in this, but we'll get into all of that. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I would have never met Will without Hocus Pocus. We have a great community of other Hocus Pocus friends. Some of lifelong friendships have developed. So we just want to begin by thanking you so much for that. That's so beautiful. It chokes me up. Yeah. (laughs) So Hocus Pocus started as a story that you told your children. Can you, how did it all begin? Just give us a little background on that. It honestly started long before even having an idea of Hocus Pocus of just an absolute love of Halloween, an obsessive love of things that go bump in the night uh, with my best friend that lived across the street, whose name is David also. We would build haunted houses and we would decorate the porch at, uh, at, at my, my parents' house to look, look like a little haunted house. So all these things, I think, were just brewing in me for so many years. And when our daughters were growing up, and our daughters are older than, than both of you, maybe put together now, um, uh, we would have um, huge Halloween parties, and we would, have, um, we would rent hearses from the 60s and have them parked in the driveway. And because Walt Disney always said it's, it's so important that someone has a feeling for what they're about to partake in. So we always decorated the outside before anybody even walked into the house and created this really spooky ambiance. And inside we had guillotines and electric chairs and actors and actresses and dressed as monsters. And um, uh, we would have about 150 kids and their parents uh, for dinner and um, and entertainment, and everybody came in costumes. And when we stopped doing it, I think the parents were more disappointed than even the kids because, <laughs> and that's the beauty of Halloween, really. Halloween is a holiday, unlike Christmas, that there isn't any stress. You can be anything you want to be, and no one thinks anything of it. You knock on strangers' doors. And these people open their doors and give you a gift, give you candy and, you know, no, no judging, nothing. And, and I think that's why Halloween has become so important. But that for me, all these things were brewing 
And when our daughters were little, I just created a bedtime story. And we're a bit like the Adams family anyway. I mean, we're <laughs> kind of a, a uh, we, we, we love things that go bump in the night. And our, our daughters did and do. And uh, our, our, our youngest daughter with her children and her husband now carry on that tradition of all these people coming for Halloween and uh, and what they create in uh, in their home that they start decorating on the 1st of October. And it ends about five minutes before they're going to have their party on October 31st, the house covered in cobwebs and, and uh, corpses dressed in wedding gowns. And yeah, so all, all of that. I love that so much. I mean, Halloween obviously is very important to us too. So to meet yeah. other people who understand that is always awesome. <laughs> yes. So after you created that story, you pitched it and we've heard about this day, but I need to hear it from you, David. There was a vacuum from the ceiling. There was candy corn on the table. The day you pitched Hocus Pocus, tell us about it. Uh, that's that's wonderful. You remember that you gave me goosebumps. Um Yes, um, I pitched it to a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was head of Disney Studios, and um, and I was very nervous about it. Um, I had pitched it to a couple other studios, and they passed on it. Um, and here I decided to go all out. I, I like people to enter into what is in my head. And so um, I got monofilament wire and hung uh, a, a, a mop and a, a broomstick on either end of the conference table and uh, in the center, a hollowed out, because no engine, because it would have been too heavy, uh, hollowed out Electrolux vacuum cleaner from the 60s. And um, and so when the, the execs walked in, they saw these things kind of seemingly floating uh, in in the air. Uh, we, we got a grocery store bag and I had the kids in the neighborhood because my kids were too young to really draw decently. I mean, decently enough that you knew what it was. <laughs> um, and they drew uh, uh, witches and goblins and jack-o'-lanterns. And um, I wish I would have saved this bag. Um, ghosts. Anyway, in crayon all over it, just the way that any of us would, would trick or treat. And then... Um, uh, my wife bought like 20 pounds of candy corn and uh, we filled up the bag and then I ripped the bottom of the bag, which always happens on Halloween night anyway. You always, something always breaks or tears, whether it's your costume or your bag. But I, I tore the bottom of it and I created a serpentine design in front of uh, the executives for when they walked in. And I wanted them to smell their childhood, to be reminded of what Halloween was and is. And at that point, I said that Halloween is a $1 billion business. Now, this is, you know, more than 28 years ago. Halloween today is a $10 billion plus uh, dollar business and, um, and has kind of begun to branch out all over the world. I mean, uh, that, that, by the way, there's a wonderful book for, for your listeners and for the two of you by Ray Bradbury called The Halloween Tree. And it is a magnificent, I always talk about this book because Ray was a dear friend of mine and we did it as an animated special and it's the only Emmy award that he ever won. Um, but I was very, very proud of it. But it, it just, and, th and that story really was a big influence on me for Halloween as well. I read it in my twenties and I wrote to Ray and, and he wrote me back and then we just began a friendship over 
many, 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 many years. And um, But he also had a great love for Halloween and things that go bump in the night. Um, but uh, by the time I got down to my car, bringing all this stuff back to the car that I had to bring all the way up to the Disney uh, offices, I, a woman came running after me, a very sweet woman named Carol, who is Jeffrey's assistant, and said, Jeffrey does not want you to go anywhere else with it. We want this. And I was just like, what? <laughs> wow, that's so exciting. It worked. Anyway, it would take nine years for it to, to move forward. Um, and lots of drafts and lots of writers. But, um, but we finally prevailed. And um, one day Jeffrey called and said, we're making your movie. And so, that you know, it was... So exciting. And um, well, I'll wait for your, your questions before I just go off on more tangents, <laughs> no. which I'm famous for. So you can stop me at any time. Please don't stop. We love a good oh. Hocus Pocus tangent. Will and I do it yeah. all the time. So, <laughs> Will, do you want to talk about the Halloween House script? Yeah. So ever since we discovered that it was the Halloween House, um, both of us have basically really wanted to know if there's any major differences, any major characters, and kind of how different the original scripts were to what we see on screen today. Um, can you? Is there any significant scenes that you can remember from the original scripts that were cut entirely? Yes, it's a little hard to remember over 30 years ago. <laughs> um, but Mick Garris, I believe, wrote that draft of uh, what would be called the Halloween House. And so there was a lot of what's uh, in the final, if you will, but there's a lot missing also that not only came from Mick later on in subsequent drafts, but Neil Cuthbert, who wrote a lot of the really funny stuff that's in there. Mick is really great at scary stuff. Mm -hmm. And Neil wrote um, really funny, funny situational moments. But the three sisters, the Sanderson girls, were Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy. They themselves created so much that was not in any script. That did not come from me. That did not come from any of the writers. That they created so much, and they were so funny. And you know, just Bet's delivery of of some of that, like when she opens the window and says, "Oh, look, another glorious morning," makes me sick. It's just, you know, whatever it is on the page. You just have no idea what's going to happen when someone that has that kind of talent delivers it and, and acts it, if you will. And boy, she she did. And Kathy and Jimmy also, there's a, a line that still makes me laugh all these years later when she says, I smell a child, seven, maybe seven and a half. And, I just, it just, she, and she created that. That's just her. And uh, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker and her boy, crazy stuff and and. And singing the great James Horner, the late great James Horner song, uh, um, Come Little Children. You know, they both, they all just added so much to it. And obviously, Kenny Ortega is is the foundation of all this. Just the sweetest man in the world. Nothing ever riled him. And, you know, working with three actresses that at times could be difficult um, because there's makeup and there's effects and there's there's uh, flying rigs and, and, you know, it, it was scary for the actresses and uncomfortable. And Kenny just always kept his cool and was just 
but he brought so much to it and brought so much humor. And, uh, and Ali, you may remember this from when I spoke uh, in, in Long Beach, California, there was a, a scene um, that, that I was sure was just a really bad idea. And that is when Bette sings, I put a spell on you. Everybody, and I say this all the time, I own it. I was a billion percent wrong. I just said, we're going to stop this story and, and let Bette Midler perform a song. And Kenny said, David, I'm telling you, people are going to love this. And, and I had so much trust in him, but I was still positive that was not going to work. And I even went to the head of the studio and he said, if we have to, we could cut it out. And when we saw it in previews, I mean, not only did the audience laugh, but I just sat there laughing and saying, I was so wrong. <laughs> this was so great. And, and that really set the, the tone for so much of, of the film with, with everything that Kenny brought to it. What a, what a talent. The whole crew of Hocus Pocus. I mean, we've talked about it in past episodes, and Will and I have just talked about it for hours, that the group of people that you and everyone in Disney pulled together to make this movie, John Debney with the music, everyone, it was just perfectly outstanding. We have very few complaints, if any. We'll talk about this later in the deleted <laughs> okay. scene. In the deleted scenes, of course. You know what? Let's jump. Let's jump to the deleted scenes now. That's on our question list. So, David... <laughs> David. So there are the big, we like to call them the big three deleted scenes, the grocery store, the swimming pool, and the Candy Crows storyline. We also know that the original ending um, had Max and Allison kiss and Binks the cat stayed alive. That's my dream to see play out on screen. <laughs> um, what what decisions were made? I know, obviously, time is a constraint, all of that. But do these deleted scenes exist anywhere? Have you seen them? What decisions were involved in cutting them? I haven't seen them since we we shot. Um, and I don't, I mean, obviously Disney has those scenes, or I assume they have those scenes somewhere. I, I wonder if at some point they're going to release that in some form of DVD <sighs> or streaming. I, I That I, I don't know. Um, but I will look into that and get back to you guys on that. Um, no one's ever asked me that with all the questions, all the truly millions of questions. No one's ever <laughs> asked me that. Will loves the deleted scenes. I love yeah. them. We, we've seen, uh, there have been recreations done online we've talked about, and we've, we honestly thought that they would probably put them in the 25th anniversary edition if they were going to release them. Yeah. And they weren't there. So if you have any intel, please let us, <laughs> let the Black Flame Society know first. <laughs> the Black Flame Society. That's so cool. <laughs> you are, you are a member. You are a member of the Black Flame Society. There she is. Oh, look at that candle. Oh. This, the one in the movie was, was part of my presentation to Disney and they just used it in the film and I made two of them and this is my copy, but I just went to the grocery store, got a candle, took some paper, put it in the oven and made it look kind of toasty and then did my drawings of kind of evilish looking things and witches on here and some Latin that I have no idea what it even means. <laughs> Will and I have replicas, but they're not as beautiful as yours. Oh, oh, look oh, at book. Fantastic. Where's mine? Mine's just here. Oh, look at oh, book. Oh, I love that there's a black flame on that. I've got to get that. Wow. <laughs> um, now, what I, book I, is this? Way, I wasn't a big fan of, of the effects on the black flame. They just didn't look great. 
Um, <laughs> they, they will look much better in the new film. But this this was what I brought into oh. the meeting of book. And it's just, uh, it's an old, uh, it's an old science book that I never bothered to return from school. <laughs> and uh, and um, uh, a friend of mine who does all my, my creatures for me, Tony Gardner, uh, yes, Tony. And, uh, uh, did, um, did this for me as well as, uh, well, a lot of other things, but he does Chucky for me as well and makes Chucky come to life. Tony Gardner made Billy come to life, and my goodness, uh-huh. he, oh, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, he's in Toronto right now shooting the second season of Chucky uh, for yeah. us uh, with my partner, Don Mancini. So, um, awesome. yeah, that's, uh, anyway, very talented man and nice, as talented as he is, so nice. Very excited to see and that. He's on the new film as well. Yes. So with the original, um, how involved were you in the casting process? Because we just think the casting, other outside of even the Sanderson sisters, Omri, Vanessa, Thora, Tobias, Larry, everyone, we just think the casting was so on par. Were you involved with that? And did your did they kind of match your original vision? Uh, I think they exceeded my vision. As often as the case in things that I create, when you get to work with people like uh, like Kenny Ortega, you know, whatever, whatever is you have just gets better and better and better with, with someone of that talent. And, um, and that is really what happened there. I did see, um, I did see VHS copies. I wasn't in the room. I, I was chairman of an animation company called Hanna-Barbera that does the Flintstones and Yogi yes. Bear and Scooby and all that stuff. Um, and so I was running a company and then running back and forth from the Disney lot to Hanna-Barbera, which is just about 15 minutes away. Um, but um, I did go um, with Bill Sandell to, um, uh, to the East Coast uh, on a uh, fact-finding mission. And he always tells the story on, <laughs> on the plane. And I think he did that day that I was doing drawings uh, that he has framed in his beautiful home uh, of, of, of scenes that the way that I saw them anyway. And... Uh, so that that was really fun to be able to go and and do that and uh, and I tried to get over there as as much as I could in the middle of trying to run a company. But I, I honestly I couldn't even think about anything other than this project that was so important to me, and it was pretty obsessive of me. The 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 set that Disney created on the lot in Burbank at the Disney Studio of Hocus Pocus, after forty five projects that I've done in all of my years. I have never been more taken by being on a set than what Disney created with the the witch's house and the graveyard um, on that set. I mean, it it it. I would walk under that set and just the smell of wood, and just seeing what had been in my head for all those years come out, and then and then exceed what had been in my head with with all these really talented people and Bill Sandel's designs and and. Kenny's direction of that it it just oh it just I still go back there in my head and my wife and I played with the idea because Disney offered me the witch's house and uh it just it would have taken up a good portion of our backyard and into the swimming pool and so um I had to pass on it and they you know they eventually destroyed it ah um which killed me I wish I could convey in words to your your viewers just what that did to me to see to see that witch's house and the water wheel moving and just what just what had been created you know 
Mary's costumes and um, uh, just oh, just across the board, just an amazing experience. And it, it, I guess we'll we'll get to this, but you know, just the fact that the film did not do well when it came out. But whenever you're ready, we'll get into that. <laughs> We've both actually said in the past that if we could afford it, the witch house would be our ideal home. So the fact it got destroyed is really sad, but uh, it's such a nice house and the, just the work that was done in it is so, it's so perfect. Will actually has a replica of the house. You do? Yeah, I've actually got it here. Oh, oh. Show um, me. So it's got a few tweaks because a friend of mine actually made me um, a little new frontage on it. So here it is. <gasps> Isn't oh, it beautiful? My. So if I get it a little bit closer. That is, a friend made that for you? Yeah. That is absolutely magnificent. And I love the smoke coming out of the chimney. Yeah, so there's a little purple smoke coming out the top and it all lights up. Right. But yeah, it's beautiful. It's, uh, wow. it's one of my favorite things. That's, what what a treasure. That's amazing. Yeah. I need to get better friends. <laughs> <laughs> We have joked that if we could, if it still existed, I know when I spoke, I've spoke, uh, Bill Sandell, I've spoken to him a few times. He's lovely. And I know he says he wish he could have had the house. I think we all wish it could just be in our backyard permanently. <laughs> or, or or our home. Yeah. <laughs> or just live inside. <laughs> Pop in. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. Um, I, you know, for years and years, and they finally broke, I had the gates to the old Salem Cemetery um, oh that are, it's part of a, a, um, a combination of, of uh, a, a model and a, um, a matte painting when uh, Emily Binks comes back and goes off with, uh, with Thackeray. I, I, that scene still makes me really, really cry. Um, and uh, it was completely ripped off from uh, a movie called The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, and, um, which is about an old sea captain who's a ghost Rex Harrison, who comes uh, to haunt the house that he lived in with this strong-willed woman that lives there, and and they fall in love, but eventually can't be together, and then when she dies, they come together. Anyway, it's it's completely stolen from that ending, <laughs> and uh, uh, and it's uh, yeah, just oh god, just just when I think of the gates and just that <sighs> scene and Thackeray having died and. Watching Thora's performance uh, of, of Danny just crying over Binks, and and then when when the ghostly Thackeray comes back and says, "I will always be here," and uh, oh, just <laughs> honestly, I mean, talk about movie magic of all these people coming together with something that would form something that um, that would live on. And, you know, as I said, I mean, it was reviewed terribly. The worst reviewed film of my career. Barely made any money that opening weekend. We opened against Jurassic Park. Yes. And uh, in July, we should have been in in October, but Disney really had no interest in listening to me (laughs) on that that point. (laughs) Um, uh, But uh, this year, they are doing that, and and it is coming out in October, so that's great. Yes. Uh, circling back, David, I have to say that every time I, I don't know how many times we've seen Hocus Pocus, Will, and I am sure you've seen it <laughs> hundreds and hundreds. We've all seen it. Every time I see the end, I tear up. I actually got I Shall Always Be With You tattooed on the back of my neck. Like it's my favorite uh, scene. It uh, is 
<laughs> it's I cry every time, no matter I know what's gonna happen, and it still gets me. So you're not alone in that. Please know there are others that are just like you there. <laughs> you know, uh, Will and Allie, I may have said this, uh, Allie, when you were in Long Beach, California. Um, John Debney and I, who's my my dear, dear, dear friend, when John um, and I watched it with our wives sitting on either side of us, that at that scene. The two of us just weep constantly. <laughs> and and we held hands during that scene. And it, it was the most beautiful bonding moment of 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 two creative guys that that were so moved by John by what had been created, me by what he had done with his music to make that moment so much greater. And um yeah, I mean, he he just he wrote that entire score in two weeks. Yes, I just it seems impossible that anybody could do that because James James pulled out of the project. I wasn't happy about it. I was upset at him, but he said, "Look, I'll, I'll write a, a song for you. I'll write I'll write Sarah's song for you." And I just kind of thought, you know, with an eye roll, whatever. I was so angry, <laughs> and then. You know, I, he sends me this, and it's just like, Ugh! it was just so beautiful. So, um, you know, I don't think anybody in the world could have done a better job than John Debney did on on the emotions that his score takes you through. The humor, the, the touching moments, the, the chills. You know, I would say it's like your child's first uh, horror movie. So, uh, <laughs> baby's first horror movie. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, we actually listen to the soundtrack quite a lot, don't we? We um, we probably listen to it more than we watch the film. We, I mean, we watch the film multiple times, at least once a month, and in Halloween month, October, probably every day. But the soundtrack, it's I probably listen to it at least once a day because it's such a beautiful and such a well done soundtrack. And we're so so pleased as well to see that he's back to do the sequel. Yes. We honestly cannot wait to see what he comes up with and and the music we can look forward to again as well. Yes, it, it, it was actually a little close, by the way, with John doing Hocus Pocus 2. I had had surgery and was not able to go back for, for this film to Rhode Island and to Salem. Um, and uh, my dear friend Lynn Harris, who's so talented, went, produced it, um, and did a fantastic job from everything I've seen. I said to Lynn, I mean... John Debney's a slam dunk. And she said, well, in my mind, he's a slam dunk as well. And I said, okay, great. Um, she said, but um, uh, the, the director uh, isn't, isn't there yet, ha- doesn't want to make the decision quite yet. And I said, why? Look what the guy <laughs> did. And she said, just, you know, give, give it time. It'll work out. And, and Lynn really stayed on her and it, and, and I think that she recognized uh how great he was and how many fans like you uh, and myself that are out there for John Debney. And just a, a few weeks ago, they pushed the button on it and, and John is now putting it all together. So uh, yeah, it, it made me really nervous because I thought the consistency of that was incredibly important. And, and Lynn was very patient with me kind of bothering her constantly <laughs> saying, does she have an answer yet? Does she have an answer yet? And John was getting worried because I, he's he's made so many, uh, done the score for so many films and television series, and has won many Emmys, um, and is an Academy Award nominee. But this was the first live action film that he did, 
And um, when I when I was saying earlier that I was uh, head of Hanna Barbera, uh, John was working with us and doing the score for music on Saturday morning, and then I had him do the Ray Bradbury Halloween Tree, yes. and the music is fantastic in that. And that's what made me say, "This is the guy. This this has got to be the person." And I went to Jeffrey Katzenberg, and he said, uh, "This guy does Saturday morning cartoons." I said, "He's so talented. Everybody starts somewhere." And he said, no. And uh, that, that I would not let that go. And I just kept making him crazy. And finally, he did give in. And <laughs> then they signed John to a three-picture deal. Uh, and John won the ASCAP BMI New Composer of the Year because of Hocus. And, you know, and he's, he's never looked back. He's just had such a brilliant career from then on. And uh, again, it just... One of those weird moments in life where all these elements of talented people coming together, all, all those people that loved Halloween the way that the three of us do. And I think that all of that created the magic that became Hocus, something that, you know, the weekend after it bombed, Disney was just ready to, and they did, they just moved on. It was just, you know, they had a lot of other films to get out there and to make and okay this one didn't work what's next but for me it's just like you know this is my life's work and and it was over and I, I was in tears I was so sad that I just couldn't understand why the reviews were so bad why people were were, were not showing up at the theater um but I mean the answer was Jurassic Park on that one and bad reviews <laughs> so um but uh boy it really feels good to um, have had that turnaround. And that began about five years later when, when Disney just kind of threw it up on the Disney channel and it did well for them. So they decided we'll throw it up again and again and again. And it just, the audience just seemed to go away. They didn't seem to be satisfied. They just wanted to keep watching it again and again. And more people started to join. And, and then it just became something that, um, and I'm not sure, Will, you know this. I don't know if it's in England or not, but here in October or last year, it ran every every hour of the day from six in the morning till midnight on Halloween and, uh, and four or five times a day all through October. And yet they got staggering numbers because people like you, God bless you, <laughs> um, just so enjoyed watching it over and over. And there was always something different to laugh at or look at someone else's expression that you hadn't seen or, mm -hmm. or, or Bill Sandel's production design that you hadn't noticed. And uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, yeah. I talk about it and I, I feel like, you know, an, an old war general talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, those days, but it, it really, uh, again, with all the stuff that I've done, there's nothing that means more to me than, than Hocus Pocus. And uh, that's an answer I give when I'm being asked about everything from Chucky to uh, frailty to looking around my, my office to, uh, to an American tale on and on. And uh, to me, it's the most important project that I will ever do because it's, it's, it's me. It's, it's little Davy Kirshner loving Halloween so much and, and being able to grow up and and do something about it, which I'll never do again. I mean, this this is 
you know, I've made one Halloween movie and I've done three Halloween specials that I'm also very proud of. Um, but this movie is, it's, it's going to be an emotional October this year for sure. It's something else. I mean, just hearing you talk about it, I'm sure Will also. Do you have goosebumps, Will? I'm just over here yeah. like, I'm fangirling. It's insane. It's just, we're so grateful you pushed to make it. And we're glad. I mean, I know you had to wait. I know it was pitched to other people, but everything aligned. The stars aligned for this one. And it was just perfect. It's weird because you don't know that then. You just think what you've created is awful when doors keep slamming on your face. And um, I, I think, honestly, what helped me a great deal was I presented an American tale to Jeffrey Katzenberg before I showed it to Steven Spielberg. And when I showed an American tale to Jeffrey, he said to me, who the F wants to see a film about a Jewish mouse? And I said, well, who wants to see a film about a wooden puppet? It's what you do with that character and where you take the arc and the emotions. And he said, nice try. What else you got? And I didn't have anything else. But, but after an American tale came out, he sent me a note saying, Dear David, now I know who the F wants to see a film about a Jewish mouse. <laughs> Mazel <Boston> Tov. <laughs> and um, and uh, so I think when I walked in the door at Disney, I had Spielberg pixie dust all over me. You know, I mean, Spielberg today, I mean, it's just like, you know, truly a god. Uh, but, you know, 1984, when I met Stephen and presented an American tale to him, you know, Stephen was, it was, there had been Jaws, Raiders, E.T., Close Encounters, uh, Back to the Future came out that summer. Stephen, as a producer, did that. The Color Purple. I mean, oh my God. And here this guy wanted to make an American tale after Jeffrey said that. So I think Jeffrey was thinking, okay, I missed it. And the fact that David just said Halloween is a billion dollar business and Spielberg made his last film, I better say yes to this one. And so I, I, I don't think, well, I don't think any of us, including myself, realized what it would become. I, I just was excited to make this movie for our daughters, this, this bedtime story. But it really has obviously grown into something very different or we wouldn't be sitting here today. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> it's um, Hocus Pocus in the UK. Obviously, Halloween is very different in the UK. It's not as big in America. Um, but Hocus Pocus is actually a staple every single year in the UK. When people think of Halloween in the UK, we all think of Hocus Pocus. I don't know a single person who hasn't seen Hocus Pocus. Um, and, oh, my God. And oh, that's, I remember that's the, one. the first time the Disney store here um, stocked Hocus Pocus mer merchandise because it was such a hard thing to come by in the UK. Um, it sold out within the first hour and it didn't get restocked because they the demand was so high because the people in the UK love Hocus Pocus so much. And even now, um, last year, we have a grocery store here called Sainsbury's. And for the first time ever, they had a Hocus Pocus collection. And no grocery store in the UK had ever had a Hocus Pocus collection. Oh, my God. And it sold out. And I, even I went crazy for it. I took multiple trips to the grocery store. And if I could have shown you back then how people were online trying to find this Hocus Pocus merchandise... It, Hocus Pocus over here is huge. It's massive, and it's not just a, U, a USA thing. Now it's like we love it as much as as you do over there, and I, I absolutely love it too. And it's just something you've created is it's it's amazing. 
How old were you when you first saw it, Will? Um, I was around three years old, and Billy Butcherson. Oh, oh my God! So yeah, young. yeah, and Billy Butcherson. Billy Butcherson did, yeah. When he lost his head, I had nightmares <laughs> for weeks. You lost um, your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but ever since ever since watching it as a as a kid and then growing up as well, I just I just fell in love with it. And I I remember um every time I watched it every year, it could have been January, February, March, the moment Sarah's song played, I always got that warm, fuzzy feeling for October and Halloween, and it was that moment where I missed Halloween. And there was a short while where I didn't watch Hocus Pocus because it made me sad because I wanted Halloween to come quicker and to uh-huh. um, to get here faster. But now uh-huh. with how big it is, we can in, well we can enjoy it all year anyway. But with how big it is now, with the merchandise and the books and now the sequel, I, I just I live it every single day and I absolutely love it. Wow! Thank you for sharing that with me. Oh, I, you're welcome. Well, I would love to come over there in October and and. And just, uh, you know, I do so much, so much speaking on this here, but I, I've never gone to, um, I spoke in Canada once on it, but I've never gone to England and I should do that. Um, just hearing that makes me so excited. I, I so often, because I'm always looking at the merchandise, new merchandise, and but I always see that uh, uh, like available in the UK, and uh, and there's websites that are hoax focus websites, but they're they're British oriented, and I was I was shocked by that. Yeah, yeah, it's massive. I've, like the amount of people, because I'm I have a Halloween store myself. That's my job. I run a Halloween store, so oh, I, I actually stock ha- uh, official hoax focus merchandise as well. And it is it is insane. It's the people love it. People absolutely love it, and even now, like the Disney store still has a few items available, and people just go crazy for it. And the moment, because I'm in a lot of um, online groups where people share Hocus Pocus and Halloween merchandise, the moment someone shares a new piece of merchandise that's available in the UK, people go absolutely insane for it because it, we all love it. Like, it's it's huge. It's just massive. And we really hope one day we get Spirit Halloween so we can get all of the really good merchandise that Spirit Halloween has as well. <laughs> Well, God, you know, I mean, I'm I'm thinking this. I I wonder if there's a college or a um, that has a a cinema class or something that um, that would be interested in having me come over and show the film and then discussing it um, there. And uh, and and I really want to come see your Halloween store. Is really the reason for all of that? <laughs> That's amazing that you have a Halloween store. Wow. <laughs> I am sure any college would want you to come talk, yes, David. And I know that I know that our listener base is mostly Hocus Pocus fans, but we have this cool map that shows. And I mean, I'm sure fans are everywhere, but we have listeners in Vietnam. The UK is almost as bright as America in spots, oh, Cambodia, my. South Africa, uh, Mexico, Canada, like listeners everywhere. We just hit Norway recently, just listening to us blabber on for hours about Hocus Pocus. And so they love it as oh, much as we do. World it's tour. everywhere. <laughs> world tour. Let's do it. They're everywhere. So so it's it's spread. It is Australia. Every, it's, oh my God. it's everywhere. We honestly just started it for us. We wanted a podcast that we wanted to listen to. We felt like there was a void of enough hocus pocus information for the world to hear. So that's why we're here. <laughs> well, I, I with all the people that I've spoken to, I don't think I've spoken to people that are more experts and maybe surpassing <laughs> me on this subject than the two of you. Ali, how old were you when you saw the film the first time? 
I was one when it came out, so I don't, I'm sure I've saw, I, I have pictures of me as a young child watching it, but the first time I remember seeing it, I was around five or six, um, and I just, I adored Winifred Sanderson. She was like the cool aunt that I always wanted, <laughs> and oh, even though oh. she would have sucked the life out of me, but um, I just remember <laughs> just being, <laughs> I remember being addicted and just loving it forever, and then I felt like I was the only, just because as you said, unfortunately, it was deemed a flop, and it wasn't this hot thing, but when Disney and ABC family now freeform just started showing it all the time i was like i'm not alone guys there's more of us and then i met will and i was like all right this is there really are it's us there's a fan base it's huge yeah a friend of mine said to me uh, recently she said david this is a religion she said <laughs> i love that people, they just they they it's like the sanderson church and people just <laughs> lo- love being disciples of uh, uh, of of these uh, and maybe church isn't the word maybe uh, maybe there's uh, the darker side of that but um, it, yeah it's it gosh this is so exciting to talk to you guys about this oh, David we feel the same way really we've been counting down the days <laughs> so. We determined the last, the end scene is great. And that's, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. That seems to possibly be your favorite scene. But outside of that, tell us your favorite scene, the one that makes you laugh or just feel incredibly emotional. Which one is it? Well, no, it's it's what I had said earlier. I mean, there's so much that I love, but the scene at the end and, and Thora's um, delivery of that scene just, it destroys me every time <laughs> in the best way, but it destroys me in the best way. First of all, I, my wife and I are obsessed with animals, so the idea of seeing this cat die oh. kills me. But the idea of seeing the ghost that comes from it and 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 the love that she has for this cat and then seeing it in the boy form, it's, it's very beautiful. And if you can, and you can probably find it on YouTube, the last moments of the ghost of Mrs. Muir, just so you can see where that came from and why it moved me so. And I really love my wife. I mean, we've been together since we've been 16. (laughs) And we met on an archaeological dig in the Negev Desert um, in the Middle East. That When you see that scene, that's just the way I want to say goodbye to her one day and um, or or carry her off to heaven with me one day. Um, And so I think that that's why that scene... Um, in at the end of Hocus Desert to me so much to see Thackeray Binks who gives up his life and and walks the earth for 300 plus years um, as uh, on four on four legs uh, four paws and <laughs> and a uh, a tail uh, to I mean he's been cursed and just trying to stop something that was so wrong and that love is so beautiful that brotherly love for a sister. And it, it, uh, it, so I think that's why that, that scene just from one end to the other does it to me. I mean, Doug Jones also, you know, the scene that, that, that scared Will when he was little of <laughs> the head coming off, you know, just, just everything Doug Jones did. And, you know, Brilliant. when Doug Jones did that, he was, he just happened to be a really slender guy that was tall and could, and could do this and got the gig. But he's gone on and, you know, I don't think anybody really recognized just how truly brilliant an actor he is. And also such a nice man. Uh, 
I had the pleasure of meeting Doug in November and um, he sat with me in a hotel lobby for two hours and we just talked like we were old oh, friends and he's just honestly, wow. he's That's everyone, so but everyone I've met from the Hocus Pocus cast is the same way. They're all so great. But Doug especially was just like, come here, my sweet Allie and gave me a hug and rubbed my face. And it was like, oh my God, it's, it's Billy. It's Doug. It's my favorite. <laughs> and he's just, he's great. Yeah. So oh. That's just, yeah, he's a, <laughs> He's a special, special soul. And, He's incredible. Uh, so great that his talent has been so recognized. Actually, uh, not too long ago, I, I, I wasn't there because I was recovering from surgery. I was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the um, uh, the Saturn Awards, um, which are the awards for fantasy, science fiction, horror, and animation. And, um, and I couldn't be there, so I recorded something. Um, but then they had a host of people speak and one was Doug and oh, I I was in the floods as oh. they say I was uh, it really <laughs> so moved by his his sweetness and and words and I had a great picture on my on this iPad actually of uh, of Lynn Harris my my producing partner on Hocus 2 and such a, a wonderful talent of she and Doug and they're blowing me kisses from the set and I Sometimes at night, if I can't sleep, I, I watch it and over and over and over again, even though it's only like five seconds, but it just, it just makes me feel so good. I am sure every word he said was well, well owned by you, David. So don't, don't be too humble over there. <laughs> Apart from the candle that you use to pitch the film, are there any props from the film that you actually still own now that were used during the filming? Let's see. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I have representations of those. Like right over there is um, a reproduction of Bet's costume um, on a mannequin. Um, Billy uh, was a gift from hey, Tony Gardner um, for me um, uh, right after the film, and it, it is my favorite thing. I mean, all over my office, I have all the Chuckies of thirty-five years of the films we've made, and from Bride to whatever of Chucky to his his trans son to everything. And but my favorite thing is what Tony made me, which was a complete exact replica of of Doug Jones' face with the makeup on and the fantastic uh, clothing that was well that was one of the um outfits from the film, but there were a host of oh, them cool. um that they used because you have to you have to make a, a couple of everything because mm -hmm. things always get trashed. And that was one of them. And he dressed uh, his sculpture uh, in those, those togs and you, you can't really see it, but um, Billy's here. I'm going to, I'll do this. Billy's grave is there too. Oh the my goodness. Near him. That's incredible. Oh, what a piece. I'm, I'm glad you have that because he's such, as we said, oh, Doug's iconic, Billy's little... iconic, Tony. It's all iconic, all of it. <laughs> I've been pinching myself on that for about 26, 27 years after Tony gave it to me after the film, about a year or two, three, whatever it was later. Um, well, I want to come see your Halloween store desperately. Let's make plans. Let's go. <laughs> Wow, I'm sorry. My eyes just <laughs> circling all around you. <laughs> Will and I have talked for hours on camera now, and every time I see something new, so his office is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's an office of uh, shiny objects for sure. Um, <laughs> oh, that, thank uh, you. That catches the eye and 
renders the tongue useless. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, because I absolutely love Halloween, so I created... It's kind of like a little escape. So I have all of my Hocus Pocus stuff in here and then all of my Halloween things and I have other films like Trick or Treat and stuff like that. Um, and there was a time when it was kind of like I'd gone through kind of a dark time and my favourite time of the year is, is October. It's Halloween. I love it. I live for October the 1st and all the way to the end. Um, so I got to the point where when I started my shop, I got in my head, why don't I create a little space that every day is Halloween. So, and this is, this is my office. This is my little Halloween room. So if I'm having a bad day or if I just want to feel like it's October 31st, I come in here and just, just live it for the day. Uh, my, my office does that for me as well. If I'm having a bad day or going through stuff, um, just come into my office and um, I turn on Gregorian chants. Um, there's, there's a great album by, uh, Pendarecki uh, called The Entombment of Christ. And I often go into my office, light a candle. Mm. And so you just see little bits and pieces of all that surrounds me. And, um, and just to hear this music and your imagination explodes with ideas. So try that. It's fun. <laughs> and Actually, I do a similar thing with the Hocus Pocus soundtrack. So oh, wow. I just yep. put that on and I'm, that's it. That's me sorted for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I, I hope that there's an opportunity at some point for the three of us to meet in person. Or, uh, well, you've never been to the states? No, I've been once. I actually, my only trip to America was a trip to Salem to visit the Hocus Pocus sites. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> of course, it was Not Disneyland, but Salem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've really, I would love for Disney to. Um, create a bronze commission, a sculpture of the three sisters that could go in the center of town. Um, I, I just, I want to do everything we can to keep this alive. And, um, and so the idea of a, you know, a five foot six, whatever it is, bronze sculpture of, of the three Sanderson's, I just would love to, uh, I'd love to have done. Can you imagine that right across from the Bewitch statue in the center of town? You got right. the Bewitch statue, you got the Sanderson sisters. Oh, I'm imagining it now. I just, yeah. I want to run there and do it. Oh. By the way, that show was a big deal for me when I was a kid. I lived for it. I Just mm. the magic of it. And again, probably not understanding why all this stuff was percolating in me, but but it was. And, um, but yeah, just the idea of a, of a, a witch that lives in your neighborhood um, really did it to me. Though I could not understand why her husband didn't quit work and say, create a giant mansion for us on the coast, you know, and just this and that. And, you know, but that, that was my issue as a seven-year-old. I love that. Yeah. And before we move on to talk about the sequel, David, um, just to, when we were doing our research for the episode, uh, we creeped a little. Your middle name is Maxwell. Uh, was Max Dennison inspired by that, or is that just a happy coincidence? No, it's. Um, I'm an armchair adventurer. I'm really scared of many things, and I, I'm not one to to uh, take on witches or or. <laughs> and I've used that name many times in my stories. Um, in many different stories where I could fit it in. That's just my alter ego. And Max was my alter ego. Love and that. 
the, the cool guy that I wanted to be that I wasn't and remain so <laughs> and remain not that cool guy. But uh, Max, Max was with his tie-dye, laid-back, L.A. vibe. Um, uh, that was not me and is not me. But, um, but nonetheless, I just named my, myself in those films without being as obvious as David or Davey. <laughs> So yes, that, that's where it comes from, and um, and Thackeray Binks. Um, my mom actually came up with the name Thackeray. I said, "Mom, very bright woman," and I said, "Mom, I I, I need a name that is very has a, a Puritan ring to it, but but something that also is is lyrical." And just that quickly, she said, "Well, how about Thackeray?" And I just said, oh, "I love that. I love the idea of of Thackeray." And, um, and when I was a little kid, I found a black cat and we had two dogs at home and I knew my dad would kill me if I brought home a cat, which I did. And, and, um, and I kept him in my bedroom for about 72 hours and I would bring him milk, not really even thinking that cats have to go to the bathroom. And, um, and, uh, I named him Inky and, uh, and that became Thackeray's last name, Binks, is Black Ink. Binks. I'm not sure I've ever said that before, except to Disney, maybe, but Black Ink, Binks. An exclusive. I love that. An That's exclusive. Awesome. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love that story. And David, you you say you're not cool. We think you're the coolest. Uh, so we're. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's just yeah. cool. That's, that's why you say that. <laughs> Will, do you want to move on to the first sequel question? If you want to hear David's answers to questions about the sequel, his other projects, and a bunch more, tune into the next episode of the Black Flame Society for part two of our interview with David Kirshner. But because we're so excited, here's a sneak peek. And they passed on it. I, I was devastated. Are Jay and I still in their cages? What's going on? It's, it's wonderful. It all could have been so different, guys. So different. That, that, uh, that, that special door opened up and we were able to do it. Believe me, I just thought, oh, what we could do and just getting on a broomstick and riding over Salem and, uh, you know, and Billy jumping out behind a grave and... Um, oh my God. I am so grateful to all of you for taking this, this little boy's dream and turning it into a reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. See you next time for part two of our interview with David. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Black Flame Society. To never miss an episode, follow along on Instagram at the Black Flame Society podcast, like and subscribe on your favorite streaming service, and join our mailing list to be the first to know what's coming next. Thank you for being part of the society. Until next time. The Black Flame Society podcast is not affiliated with Disney or any other related conglomerates yet. Feel free to change that. Give us a call. <laughs>